That's right, everybody. Welcome back into another edition of the Producers Podcast. I'm Colin Zanker, sitting with the main morning man, the drop man, Mr. John Simmer. What's up, man? First episode together? I know, right? Right, man. We, we don't get a chance to cross paths much. Yeah, hardly, hardly ever. <laughs> you know, it's kind of, I see you on the way out, and it's like, just make sure I don't leave anything bad for you in yeah, the morning that yeah. you have to fix. Every once in a while, you know, there's always slip-ups, but it's good to have a chance to sit here and talk and go over a bunch of these sports with you. I'm excited yeah, about man. this. Yeah, And uh, whatever madness will ensue, because there was madness over the weekend, mm-hmm. as March Madness has kicked off, obviously in full force, got through the first two rounds. And just after I was talking with KJ on last week's show, the madness really ensued. We saw a 16 beat a one. Sorry, all my Purdue friends out there. I know the pain. I've talked to plenty of you. Uh, only the second team ever to lose uh, 16 to a 1. Mm. A 15 in Princeton beating an Arizona team that mm-hmm. looked like it was a championship caliber. And the upsets around, whether it be oh a 12, you know, the 12-5 matchups, everything that happened. And this is after I had said that an underdog couldn't win it that I didn't see it happening, right. that one of those lower seeds going through. So with those things being said, a team like Princeton is now on, uh, they pass around to 32 into the Sweet 16, playing mm-hmm. a Creighton team, a 15 and a 5. You know, of those higher seeds, there's only two seeds that haven't been a favorite as far as an 8 or lower. There's the 9-seeded FAU Owls, who got their first tournament win, and then those Princeton Tigers. Mm-hmm. So with this madness, do you think where you sit with March Madness, we spoke a little bit about this earlier, actually, Mm -hmm. but do you think, what do you think these lower-seeded teams like a Princeton have an advantage of over some of these teams like Alabama or the Blue Bloods in Kentucky and Duke that come into this tournament with guys who are just all-star caliber ready for the NBA? Right. I think it's, you know, and especially – well, I don't. I was going to say in amateur sports, but I don't even know if you can call college basketball amateur sports anymore because of the NIL. But with just kind of these uh, mid-major, lower-end schools, you know, the the evolution of just like AAU and the availability to all these kids at such a young age, I think it's kind of um, made its way up to the college ranks and in, in the fact that like a lot of these kids all play each other. At some point or another, if you're good enough, at um, at some point in like your early to mid teens leading up to college. So, I mean, like if you're going to Princeton, for example, and you know you're not going to just be a one and done at Princeton. You're mm. probably going to go to Princeton. And you're going to play there for four years, three or four years. So you know that you're going to have you know that built up team chemistry as opposed to a Kentucky, a Gonzaga. Uh, you know, name your you know top power five school or whatever. You're going to have a lot of one and done. You're going to have guys who are kind of more focusing on uh, trying to just for to develop their individual game um, to go to the NBA to the next season. So I think just with the kind of the leveling of the playing field from a developmental age, leading into the fact that more teams are established, like more actual chemistry-driven teams, um, you're seeing a much more even playing field when it comes to comes to March Madness. And I think this year has been like the biggest microcosm at, um, of it in recent years, for sure. 
Well, yeah, and you, you actually, when you said that about those guys staying there longer, you know, looking at this again, there's a Miami team who last year made a really deep run in mm-hmm. the tournament who a lot of their guys are still back. And some of the older teams, you know, they might be higher seeds, but there is something to be said for camaraderie, especially in the game of basketball and oh, knowing the guys you're playing with. Right. The, Outside of hockey, it's probably it is the most fluid sport. Yes, agreed. So. Well, and the FDU, the Fairly uh, Dickinson team, who beat Purdue, mm-hmm. their coach just transferred from a smaller school yeah. over to to coach there, and he had three guys transfer with them, and you yeah. saw those guys who knew and who had played together, and that's kind of one of the cool things about you know these smaller or mid major schools. These guys have played together for so right. long. Yep, and I mean, I think, because um, I watched the end of that game, I want to say in all of the NCAA, I might be mistaken, it was just in the tournament, but they were like the shortest average team. Yeah. And Purdue has to be the tallest team in the <laughs> tournament because they got multiple seven-footers. Um, so I would assume it's by far the smallest team versus the tallest team. And, what, and I mean, Zach Eady, he didn't take a shot for like the last, like, what was it, five minutes or something like that? He didn't even attempt a field goal. It was bad. Oh, I'm I'm trying to remember what we said. The, too soft to be a seven footer. Yeah, you like you can't be seven foot four and soft. Yeah, or whatever it is. Like if you're that tall, and he's like a big boy. He's mm-hmm. like thick. So he's kind of like a like Jokic, mm-hmm. but like you know maybe even a little thicker. Um, not as athletic, obviously, but like you can't just be going against, especially again the smallest yes, team in the tournament and not just like dominate. It's yeah. it's. it's Embarrassing, to be honest. You know, you know in, it's more in of a lot of ways thing. it was. Yeah, because their, their coach, you know, FDU's coach said, hey, we think we can beat them. Right. And all this stuff gets out. He got out. some flack for that, too. He did. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, he, he, wrote, he, was che- right, he wrote checks and they, they can yeah. cash right yeah. now. Right. <laughs> well, and then um, you see, just kind of off topic real quick, you saw he signed a new deal with Iona. No, I didn't. So Rick Pitino went to St. John's, who was coaching at I- Iona. And then that coach... Just signed, I think, a five-year deal with Iona. Okay, so, just kind cool. of a small that like came down the pipeline earlier today. A little swap, yeah. So, throw that in there real quick. Well, it, it, you know, you when you talked about the small school, it's funny because then in the second round, the FAU Owls, they are the second smallest team who played mm-hmm. FDU, who right. was the smallest team overall. Just really weird how some of those things, you know, come about. And then what I love about tournament time is that. I can be so wrong about a team also. And one team I was wrong about was San Diego State, who, mm-hmm. you know, they're playing Alabama in this next round. And Alabama, I think, will wipe the floor with them. Right. They should. They should. Number one overall seed in the tournament. Yeah, but you don't know. And, you know, it's it's things like that that, you know, it's the opportunity for the upsets. And mm-hmm. it's what really makes all of this in March and this time of year – there's all the sports and the free agency in NFL, uh, NBA, NHL are all getting down to the wire. Mm-hmm. Major League Baseball is picking up in March Madness. Kind of kicks off what feels like the new sports season. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah, like the the it's the next marker in like the sports calendar. Yeah, kind of where like everything's starting to um, just start picking up again because there is like that you know week or two lull where there's just kind of like. Especially as, you know, producers, it's just kind of like this is that's kind of like the dreaded week where it's like, all right, we kind of start 
this is where we have to start putting our thinking caps on and like the hypothetical situations yeah. or scenarios that we come with are like, you know, a little might be a little far fetched, but it's that it is that kind of like couple week period of time leading up to March Madness into you know the um, conference tournaments and stuff like that where you're kind of like stretching for ideas. But yeah. how many drops do you find in the next in those two week lulls? Right, you know. How yeah, exactly. <laughs> how creative can you get? Yes. Um, you know top 10 like on you know espn or fox or whatever you'll see like all the top 10 lists or you know you'll see them just kind of rotate their hosts and it'll be like hey this is dominique foxworth's top five safeties or you know and that's when you know the big big networks start really like going into the old-fashioned you know sports topics but one thing i gotta tell you to look at speaking of top 10 lists it's not that time of year but there is a not top 10 list put out every year mm. that's usually centered around college football. Huh. But you got to read it every week. It is hilarious. And Colorado has been on that list for CU sure. Buffs Naturally. for years. Yeah. But it is one of the funniest things that I read every week. Um, it, it's just it's a great article of the not top 10 because they have just funny names. So for they a, come up with like a weekly. It's like a weekly not top 10. It's like a weekly not top 10, but it is taking shots. And yeah. usually it's around college football, but every once in a while they branch out into something else and they'll okay. hit a different topic for, to for someone own. who's you know dropped out. But the, the weekly not top 10, mm-hmm. it's uh, it's on ESPN.com. I can't, I can't, I don't know my reader or my the writer from it, but I will tell you the not top 10 every week during the college football season is just so funny because they really... Just lay into the teams that right. are not doing good and despicable. I, I remember one time a team had something like 35 fans at a football game. A D1 school? <laughs> a D1 school. And they got ripped because they couldn't sell $1 tickets to this Jeez. game. And it was all on part of the not top 10. So, you know. I'll keep my eye out. Yeah. And I'm sure CU had to be on that list. Like, oh, they almost week. had to wear that list. I was like, dude, you can't can't come up with like what else is there more to talk about CU you know because they were just so awful last year yeah and and things are hopefully looking to turn around speaking of the tournament the women's uh CU mm-hmm. basketball team advancing first time in 20 years to the sweet 16 they yeah. just beat Duke on Duke's home floor in Cameron yep what uh I mean it, I mean I don't want to say this definitely isn't all prime but just the energy they're building up because even the sports, the women's basketball team building up that energy for the sports for program sure. is something to watch out for. The CU football team has sold uh, more tickets than anyone else to their spring game. They've sold more tickets. They didn't used to sell spring game tickets. I think it was like in like the last three years or this was a couple weeks ago when I had this number, but it was like they had already sold like 7,000 tickets or something like that. And then like the last few years combined like a, like 1200 people attended so they had already like you know just blown out of the water their um their amount of tickets and they're selling them this year where in previous years they haven't so yeah for sure man i mean especially in a place like boulder just the whole aura of boulder and how it's kind of like smaller i guess mm-hmm. and maybe not smaller in terms of just like how many people are there but it just seems like a more tight-knit community, um, for lack of a better term. And so it's just like, you know, all high tide raises all boats, you know? And so, like, when you get such a personality like like Prime and you get such an injection of just, like, positivity and hope um, in a community and for a sports team or whatever it is, 
it's inevitably inevitably going to have an impact, mm. you know, positive for at least a little bit, yeah. unless you start losing games. But the same thing can be said, you know, with the Broncos the last seven years too. Is like negatively, it does the same thing too. Is like when you just when it's all about culture, you know. And so, CU didn't have a culture for twenty some odd years. Prime comes in, injects a whole bunch of hope, and the culture is just completely flipped, at least for now. Um, so yeah, I'm sure like you know the swimming team feels it, the ski team feels it, the track team feels it. Um, it's just juice, you know, yeah. all around. So. Well, and, and I remember back to the days, you know, being here is the early 90s when the Buffs were, you know, champions and there were real rivalries with Nebraska. Yeah. And then even you mentioned the ski team when Jeremy Bloom yep. was skiing there and mm-hmm. he was, you know, he was news locally yep. all, all the time. All so the time, you, yep. CU was around. There was noise, you know, Chauncey Billups playing there. Yep. There was always talk. But I've always said that Colorado just isn't a college sports area in general because they just don't consistently do good. Mm-hmm. You know, when they when they are good, call it bandwagon because it really is, you, they will be followed. Oh, yeah, especially in college sports, yeah, for sure. they will be followed. But you got to do good or else no one's going to pay attention because of the Broncos being here and they are such a large pull. So, right. you know, Prime – they have raised, you know, you said that they, they raised the level for all the other guys just yep. with the recruiting. And so, you know, I'm glad the women's team, the women's basketball team is making noise in the tournament for themselves. Oh, for sure. For sure. And to go into camp like Cameron indoor, you know, I don't care who you are. Mm. That's impressive to go and win in Duke. Um, and I think it was in overtime too. Um, it might've been double overtime, but I think it was just overtime, but there's, um, as I was doing some, uh, show prep, for the players club, this is um, in the women's tournament as well. Cause for the players club, Chad, obviously a CU alum. And I wanted to see if anything was going on with um, Miami for, O, and they, so weirdly enough, Miami in the men's tournament yes. played Indiana and Miami in the women's tournament also played Indiana yeah. and the women's tournament ended insane. Like the last like minute, I think there was like probably five or six lead changes that I counted um, but essentially, uh, what was it? A six and a one seed, something like that. Miami was a six seed. Indiana, I think, might have even been. No, they couldn't have been the number one overall seed, but they were one seed nonetheless. Um, and Indiana hit like a late three with like ten seconds left to tie it up around sixty-eight or so. And then Miami ended up hitting like basically a buzzer beater. There was like three seconds left. Yeah. Um, but the the lead change. I was just watching like the extended highlights or whatever. In the last minute, it was like a 10-minute extended highlight. In the last like minute, took up like 30% of that. So it was like three minutes <laughs> of the last minute. Um, but that was like, again, it just kind of speaks to just the craziness of March Madness. Um, and the women's bracket has been just as, if not, maybe even more insane than the men's. It has. Yeah, Stanford, I, I want to say, is knocked out. Who yeah, is the number a ton one of number yeah. ones have been knocked out in that tournament as well. Yeah, it's... It's just, it's a fun time to be a sports fan. For sure. And like I said, with that kind of being the kickoff and going into, you know, our next part for the sports that are winding down in the NHL and the Colorado Avalanche, you mentioned earlier when we were talking about prime and getting a culture there, the Avalanche, I just, they, they win last night five to nothing. They beat mm-hmm. the Blackhawks, but these are after games where they're giving up five goals in a game, you know, right. consistently and dropping games that they shouldn't. 
and it's just like who are these abs which which team are they are they the one that beat the blackhawks five nothing or they the ones that lose five to three seven to two you know i think i mean the abs are just this abs team is the stanley cup champion abs i don't really think you know it was such a quick turnaround for him this year too after winning the cup and that's not an excuse it's just more of kind of like you kind of expect and you the way that the season's played out um i think it's to be expected where it's just like get me to the postseason mm. you know they've they they got to the mountaintop last year um some new faces have been kind of like cycled in 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 place of naz and things like that got a new goaltender so there's bound to be some sort of chemistry issues but i felt like you know at least heading into the season you were going to have a lot of peaks and valleys and you were going to have questions of like is this team you know ready for a playoff run is this team the same caliber as last year's team obviously you know you don't know about injuries but i think it's the same team mentally as they were last year and i think especially with this group of guys mckinnon ranton and um you would hope maybe landis cog um but they just like they have that ability mccarr they have that ability to just flip the switch mentally and i think it's just like the last last few weeks leading into the last six games so maybe going back maybe a month month and a half or so they were just kind of like bored for lack of a better term where it's just like (laughs) We, we got how much longer to the playoffs? Like, okay, let's just go through the motions. And you can see it. It showed through the play. And now that, like, we're kind of, they can kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel. You know, Landy for the first time is skating with the team um, in a non-contact jersey, but still skating with the yeah. team nonetheless. It's a positive sign. They can kind of see that that uh, ramp-up period to the playoffs, and they're turning it on. And Georgiev has also just been playing out of his mind yeah. the last, you know, 10 Games or so. I was gonna say ever uh, basically kind of since that Dallas game where he yeah. gave up four after the extended rest. I went to the game where uh, uh, they where Georgiev set against the Devils and then played on that Saturday, and it was like, oh, why'd you sit if you were gonna mm-hmm. come out and play like this? Right N- now, you know, I, to go back, you said they were ramping up, and I kind of agree, but I also don't know. I don't know if this team understands how to totally ramp it up because they haven't had to do that as this squad before. Mm-hmm. Last year, they kind of kept the pedal on the metal the whole time because they always had whether it was the yeah, President's Cup. There was there was always something else out there. And now it's just kind of like, oh, yeah, as long as we make the playoffs and then it's going to change. My biggest worry with this team is, you know, do they know how to ramp it up? Can they do that because they haven't had to do it before? Well, they just kind of done it the last six games. Yeah. And, like, to your point in that Dallas game, that was like a playoff. You can tell Dallas treated that as a playoff game. Agreed. And the Avs just got completely, like, embarrassed. (laughs) So that, if anything, was a wake-up call to, like, okay, we got to, you know, this. they took this way more seriously than we did. We can't afford to just coast by anymore. And then so that kind of you know, snapped them into it. Um, so th- in my opinion, that would be the example that you have of, okay, they're able to ramp it up. See, and, and where I sit to my other worry that I really have, is you mentioned Georgiev, he has stepped it up. Right. But he also hasn't played in these games before. Right. Because he was in New York. You mentioned, you know, a new face. The biggest of the new faces as far as this time of year really is the goaltender who's mm-hmm. going to get looked at a lot. Yorgiev was sitting on the bench while Shosturkin right. 
was winning the games for the Rangers, mm-hmm. and he his first test against Dallas did not go well. Right. But then again, you know, you mentioned the games after that. They have stepped it up and, you know, done better. He has done better. It's I don't know if he can stay consistent. Right. With well, that. in the defense, I should – there's a caveat to, you know, there's always, you know, a rhyme or reason for – a performance and Georgiev has also been playing really well because the defense in front of him has also been playing really well. He's only been facing, you know, a few shots here and there. Uh, what was it last night? It was like 20. I was going to say, yeah, it was, well, I even remember something was like 14 going into the third. Yeah. He had like no shots, but he did. I think he had, he had like a 30 save night a couple nights ago. Okay. Did he not? Um, I think I remember that correctly, but the defense has also been, just really, you know, it's they've just been really good in front of him. So I think, I just think, again, when it's like the all, you know, high tides raises boats kind of thing, McKinnon, McCarr, Rantanen, those, you know, those are your power three. If those guys can continue to just play at a high level, which they have been all season, I'm not especially worried unless like, because I think, I was thinking about it today, actually, when you mentioned Georgiev, he is on like this peak right now, mm-hmm. but he's gonna fall. There's gonna be a small dip, you know. It's just inevitable when you play so many games in a NBA season, hockey season, baseball season, whatever it is. You know, you're gonna go through hot streaks and cold streaks. Yeah. So I'm just kind of waiting for Georgiev to cool down a little bit. Where yeah, you might see you know a four goal night where you know two of them are kind of questionable, mm. questionable or soft. You know, you might see that for what, maybe six out of a 10-game stretch where you're kind of like, okay, this is worrisome. And maybe you win seven of those games, but you win, you know, some of them in spite of Georgiev, not because of Georgiev. Yeah, and if anyone watched the abs last year, you saw that happen to Kemper too. And luckily, Francois was able to step in and, you know, play some big games to the point of where it's questioned whether Francois should be the starter over Kemper last year, which in the end, it all worked out. Kemper was the starter and... The cup and the parade happened in downtown Denver. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think, you know, I think for me, I have I just haven't held my breath when it comes to Landy. Really? Um, whether he's going to come back or not. It's a huge piece. I would mm-hmm. love, but I'm just not. It's just gotten to the point he hasn't played all season. It's been so topsy-turvy. He wasn't even, like, in Colorado for 70% of the season. You know, he's going from Canada to Pittsburgh to Colorado, he's going all over the place to rehab. And so I'm not holding my breath when it comes to Laney, but I am kind of, I am holding my breath. McCarr, hopefully, you know, you just hope he can stay healthy. He's just been banged up. The concussions were super unfortunate, but he's just been dealing with some other things. And then Lekkanen, like Lekkanen is he, the last two seasons, he scored the game winning goal to send his team to the Stanley cup final. I mean, that's as clutch as clutch gets. So, um, Lekkonen for me would be like the one guy who at least who's like banged up a little now and then maybe just Eric Johnson for some, you know, for some depth on the D line. Cause you know, Sammy Gerard's going to get hurt eventually yeah. in the playoffs. It's just going to happen. Or he's going to give he's up an undersized goal. defenseman. Yeah. He's, he's <laughs> Sammy Gerard is going to disappoint you at some point, multiple times in the playoffs. <laughs> at some what point, he does. multiple times. Yeah, it's just <laughs> what he does. It Unfortunately, it's just, but it is just what he does. So, and you hope that Nichuskin catches fire too, because he was insane last playoff run. So I'm not too worried. Um, but also, like if they don't win the cup, I'm not devastated either, because we got our cup last year. I still think even if you know 
we get bounced in the second round or the conference finals, I'm like, okay, then it's three and four. Right. You know, that's just kind of my mentality with this team. It's like, all right, we'll go back-to-back in, you know, 24 and 25. I mean, if Landis Gog doesn't come back, then I don't think this team has a chance because I've said this before, but n- in no other sport do I think the captain, the sea patch is as important as it is in hockey. I agree. Yeah, and sure. so not having Landis Gog out there for this playoff run, really, I, I, there won't be a playoff run if there's no Landis Gog. They I think might they can it. still make a run. I think they can. I, I think they can come within, like, the Western Conference Finals. I don't. I don't know if they win. I go through two confident. series. I think they could win one, but I don't even feel confident in that without Landis Cog in a seven-game series against. Well, taking yeah. so on the Alv, is it more because you have like a distrust in the Avalanche, or you're more worried about other teams in the Western Conference? Mm. Probably. That's probably more of a a fifty-fifty because I'm not as afraid of the West. But what I am afraid of is the leadership when things get tough. And Landis Cog has always been that voice on this team who has been through all the tough times mm-hmm. and really keeps the drive. I think McKinnon is, is a leader, and so is Rantanen, but there's a different type of leadership. Sure. And Landis Cog really is the one who does it. He's almost like the calm one. Yeah, and and he'll get things straightened out. You know, he'll he'll be able to straighten, you know, see when guys' heads aren't there and get them back in. And I don't know if some of the other guys have the ability to do it like Landeskog. So I just I don't I feel that without without Landeskog, a championship run is totally out of the question. I don't think a deep run happens either. Just mm. the the leadership they're gone. Oh uh, well, to a team that is looking to get their first and or championship, that would be the Denver Nuggets, the leaders in the West who you know, we talk about a team who we don't know who their identity is from one night to another sometimes. <laughs> They they wrap up their road trip against uh, the Washington Wizards coming up after well right now they're two and two on this road trip mm. surprisingly two and two yeah uh, I didn't expect that but after a disappointment that is probably the nicest way to put it for how they played in Toronto winning a game in Detroit then beating the Knicks and losing to the Nets okay. other way around other way around lost to the Knicks and then won lost to the, the yeah I was like anyways mm-hmm. yeah lost to the Knicks and beat the Nets. Um, this team coming home, they really are in that lull right now. They yeah. really are in the, there's nothing really to play for. We had a five game lead over the Memphis Grizzlies, you know, before this road trip started, everything was in their pockets, but that finish line now really is in sight. Once they finish this last game up against Washington. Mm-hmm. Well, is it though? Cause then you're still in the whole thing with the Nuggets and it's, I hate to sound like, because it's not, I'm going to be hyperbolic. It's ESPN's fault why the Nuggets <laughs> are here. I mean, like, they put so much unnecessary drama around this team and the Joker that it's, like, it's kind of disgusting, to be honest, if I'm going to just, like, full bear it. And, you know, that one dude who works for that one station, I don't even like saying his name, who decided to bring race into yeah. the MVP conversation, It's it was it's just such a... Lame tactic and the idea around the MVP fine, but I feel like it took such a mental toll on this team that helped contribute to it. And yeah, you can say you should be mentally tough, this, that, and the other. But I mean, you just put yourself in that position, and if you like want to fight for Joker that bad, and you see it's affecting him, and if it's just going to naturally affect you, that's like your brother, that's your teammate, um, and obviously you know he's like one of the purest 
in humans as far as like yeah. we know, and he probably is like in the NBA. So I feel like it's more of just like a mental fatigue from all the like literally manufactured drama yeah. just so it can help validate um, voters not vote a certain dude to win a third MVP. Um, and then to top on that, once you're done with Washington, then you have to play Giannis yep. and Embiid. And all that conversation is going to be about the MVP. Exactly. So you can say the fin, like the finish. It's like it is in sight, but there's you know two huge bold. Like you can see it. You can see the finish line, and it might only be like two miles, but just from the depth perception, or there's like really big uh, hills to get in front of. It seems more like it feels more like eight miles. Well, and I guess. I don't want to say the finish line was in sight, but for what well, I is, what, more, more what I was saying is that with those last games, though, these games that they're going for mean something to them because the games that they were playing on this road trip really were semi meaningless. Mm-hmm. Um, not as much so as these last ten. That lull that was from the eighteen nineteen game to the to the ten games left stretch, because now they're playing teams that are playoff teams. These are teams that will show where they stand sure. overall in the hierarchy of the right. NBA, overall in the hierarchy of the West. That That's more of what I meant where the okay. ramp-up happens. not like the end is in sight. It, it's not going to be like an a easy benchmark. finish. Yeah, it's not an easy finish by any stretch because you you said it. They're getting off a road trip, and they got to play Giannis, and they got to play Embiid. Mm. And this is the time where Jokic's teammates need to step up and make him look good. They need to yeah, hit sure. those shots that he's making beautiful dishes yeah. on. They need to, you know, when when he's open, get the ball back to him. Right. You know, put him in good spots also uh, with being able to, you know, get boards, not letting three guys on the other team crash the boards where Jokic is the only one there. Right. Because Jokic getting some triple doubles, you know, we all know he's bound to do that, but this is the time for them to help their guy look good and finish strong in these last 10 games because sure. these games mean so much more playing that hierarchy of the East. Would you, if I didn't tell you the end result of, you know, how they finished these last 10 games record wise or who they beat, but would you rather have a scenario where you head into the playoffs with Joker struggling? He clearly fall like is not the MVP. He's struggling but the bench is playing the best they've played all year. Jamal and PJ, they're playing average. Or you're going into the playoffs but with basically how we've been all year. Joker is playing at an elite MVP-like level. Jamal still kind of wavering a little bit. MPJ seems to be a little more erratic. Um, but the bench still seems to be the issue. What team, what status of the team would you rather have going into the playoffs? I mean, I, the, the one that... Is happening all year because Malone has shown that the bench guys aren't going to play much. I mean, it's mm. going to be eight man rotation. Yeah, usually nine, nine could sound max. like seven. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I'd much rather have Jokic playing at a high level because if Jokic is playing at that high level, that creates opportunities for the other guys, mm. and then it's on the other guys. And I'd rather I'd rather put my money down on a guy like Jokic being able to distribute the ball and find the right guy who's right. hot, than a group of guys who are not blowing leads because mm-hmm. in the playoffs you got the extra rest. It's mm-hmm. not that you have to worry about playing the extra minutes each night. And so Malone's rotation will be dependent upon uh, how the starters do. And now the backups are going to be important, right. 
the biggest thing the backups need to do is just not blow it. Right. You know, they need to not well, give up 15-point leads. So. Yeah. Any Nuggets team, for the most part. Oh, I generally agree. Let me play devil's advocate. The initial argument I can make for, like, a, a slumping Jokic, or Jokic, like Jokic in a rut, whatever you want to call it, is I would hope that it would change his mindset where he feels like he needs to be more aggressive. Mm. And not in the fact that he's forcing things, like in the game, what was it, like four or five games ago, where he's just jacking up nine threes. I mean, he's being more assertive in making the game come to him quicker, getting involved in the game quicker, being aggressive in the paint more uh, right off the bat, as opposed to maybe letting the game come in the first couple minutes. Because playoff basketball, it ramps up. So just to play devil's advocate – that switch in mentality for Jokic, and I think it needs to happen anyway if they're going to make a deep run, is to be like, you are the best player on the floor, and yeah, you're, he's always going to make the right play, but sometimes the wrong play is the right play if it means you putting up a shot. Because sometimes, yeah, higher percentage-wise, someone like, you know, uh, Aaron Gordon at the top of the key for three percentage-wise, might be better because he's wide open, but you have two guys on you and you're three feet away from the basket, so in certain scenarios, I'd much rather you force that shot up than pass to Aaron Gordon. Don't eat it is what you know? you're saying. Yeah, and so I think it was against Miami. No, I think it was the Chicago game, and things were starting to kind of unravel. Oh, yeah, they got um, beat bad by okay, Chicago. Okay, then it wasn't the, Chicago. Maybe uh, it was Miami. Yeah. It was it was a red and black-ish team. Maybe maybe it was even – I think it might have even been Toronto. Or Toronto. It was Toronto. It was in – because they had finished the third quarter on like a 28-3 to three run or 28-13 run, something like that. And then um, the fourth quarter, things were starting to kind of like get out of hand. And I remember Jokic had like a pretty clear drive to the lane and then right where around the charge circle, like two defenders stood up on him, and he either could have taken like a contested shot, probably would have been fouled or like made it difficult, or but he elected to try to like make this like even more difficult pass to Aaron Gordon, and it went out of bounds and it turned the ball over, and it was just in a sequence of events where Toronto was starting to roll, and he needed just like that basket to kind of like hemorrhage the bleeding a little bit just so it's like okay their run has stopped like their 7-0 run stopped we got a basket let's get back on defense play good half court defense and then the flow of the game kind of like resets itself but then when you have a situation like that where you elected to be unselfish you turn the ball over and essentially the game was over so I would much and it kind of goes into I guess you know well what if he misses in the game's over I'd much rather have my best player on the floor take a shot, then pass up the shot if it means the worst-case scenario is we lose. Well, and, and that is even one of the things that was LeBron's big knock early in his career. He sure. would pass off early also. right? And so I, I do agree uh, as far as him needing to be aggressive because in these last few games, he really has to show out because this team winning these games and being not just competitive but beating teams like philadelphia and milwaukee down this stretch would do huge things for the confidence knowing going into the playoffs that they have an opportunity to really win it all that they deserve to hang with those other guys well i don't even i get what you're saying from my i just want i would prefer them to be pissed off 
Be <laughs> mad at the league. Yeah. They're the ones who screwed Joker out of the MVP. They're the ones creating these false narratives. They're the ones trying to pit everyone against us. It's us against the world. To see a bit of like a just have some, you know, have some edge to you. Mm. You know, want to, you know, just be a little pissed off. And not that like, because you know you can hang with anyone in the league. There's no ah. question that you can hang with any team in the league. It's about having just like that kind of mental fortitude, just that little bit of edge that makes you a little bit crazy. You know, so we saw, we were talking about the Avs. It's exactly what the Avs played with all season long last year. Yeah. It was just like they had been bounced so many times in the second round. They were sick of it. Jared Bednar was going to get fired if we didn't make it to the Western Conference Finals. That was just, he was going to be gone. So, like, this just edge of it's do or die. It, we need to just, we, however you need to manufacture it. Get pissed I, yeah. off, motivated, I don't care. But I just feel like that's always been missing with the Nuggets. Malone should get a clipping from the uh, Christmas games that the Nuggets did not play on after Jokic's first MVP. He was the first MVP not to play on a Christmas Day game right after in something like 20 years, I want to say it was, uh, that he hadn't played on Christmas or the MVP didn't play on Christmas. I mean, there is a lot of it, uh, us against the world mentality that the Nuggets need because they are Jokic and the team has kind of been put on blast and and for reasons they don't deserve. And it even started the trade deadline. With Bones Highland. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, the, putting the team on blast, you know, the team's a little soft. I mean, to be completely honest, like mentally, it's just you, they've, they always seem to like hit this, you know, fork in the road. And it's just kind of like, oh, we don't have the tools to, you know, dig underneath this obstacle. So we're just going to turn back around and we'll try again next year. Yeah. Where it's like, no, we're going to get through whatever obstacle this is, no matter what, even if we have to all run through it and batter through it. And I really thought that this team had found a way to put their foot on their throats and finish a game mm-hmm. about a week and a half ago. I was like, oh, oh, they're continuing to blow out teams. Right. And then it stopped again. It's like just – Malone called them out, having a soft quarter. Mm-hmm. You know, we lost the game because of that. You know, we played soft. We had a soft quarter. No more of those soft quarters because in the playoffs, one soft quarter could lead you down just right. – a really bad, well, bad spot. To your point, Malone's going to call him soft. Malone's called that team soft so many times, it's almost like not as big of an, a deal as like it kind of should be. And I don't think a lot of the time it hasn't been warranted, but I remember like the Phoenix series. Is that two years ago? He was like brutal With the on Suns them and four a guys. couple times. Yeah, he was like straight up brutal, like roasting his team. And I was like, there's no way that – and you can't expect that – um, the Suns went to the finals that year. You yeah. can't. You there was no way we were going to beat the Suns, but at the same time, it's like wow, you have literally like killed probably any, you know, thought that they can even win a game. So Malone could be really brutal to his team. Um, He's got to find the right balance with with him sometimes. I don't know if he can. You know? Well, and, and he might not. And then that that'd be another topic for another day is Malone's future depending on what happens with this Broncos team this or this Broncos team this <laughs> Nuggets team this year yeah. much like we had the talk about Bednar last year for sure so yeah and you know for another time which we will have but that's going to wrap it up for the producers podcast here so for John I'm just going to name you the morning man Sick, dude. <laughs> you know, we'll we'll, cool we'll, we'll get it. You know, we'll get something. We'll see what sticks. I keep throwing them at the wall. Sure. I'm Collins Anchor. This has been uh, the 
Producers Podcast on DenverSports.com.